Well, let me get you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. And uh, sometimes I plan things, but my plans go awry. And, uh, but my plan is, is that we're going to look at some stuff in Philippians for a few Sundays. I really cannot think of a better book for us. It's one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. And so, and it's a happy book all the way through. And so I, I like it. Anyway, Philippians chapter 1, and let me read it to you here whenever I get on the right page. Starting with verse 12. Remember, as Paul writes this, he is incarcerated. He's a political prisoner. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, I may be getting some of my dates and times mixed up on this because I can't remember exactly how it all came together, but this isn't a preacher's tale. This was, you know, it really did happen. It's, uh, but I can't remember exactly all the details now. My my memory wouldn't bring it in very clearly. But this happened about 10 or 15 years ago. There was a young man that wanted a Bible. And he, a message was sent to me to see if I could get him a Bible. You see, he couldn't go out and buy one on his own. And if he did get a Bible, it had to have a soft cover on it. And he could not have a King James version of the Bible because he had a hard time understanding that. And the reason for all of these stipulations on getting the Bible and why he couldn't do it and why he had to have this particular type of a Bible was because his address was the Rusk County Jail. And that was the way that I kind of got to know him uh, back then, it was not unusual to see a white dump truck, county dump truck, going up and down some of the county roads with a few men in the back with shovels. And these were nonviolent county prisoners, and they were filling up some holes in the road. And I got to meet the young man. He was, a, he was, he was someone that, you know, you, you just liked him automatically. He always had a pleasant smile on his face. He was in the Russ County Jail awaiting a transfer. He had been sentenced to a prison term. I can't remember now what it was. It may have been that he was driving drunk and had some kids in the car with him. I can't remember, but it was a state jail felony, whatever it was. But he was waiting to be transferred, but it wasn't too long before he sent another message and sent it through a jailer who was a member of the church where I was a pastor, and, and he wanted to be baptized before he went to prison. 
that he had made Jesus his savior and he wanted to be baptized. The sheriff's department had okayed it that if he wanted to be baptized, that this jailer could bring him to church one Sunday and sure enough he did. He sat back on the back row and he had on a clean white t-shirt and some jeans and he was waiting eagerly for the service to come to an end and when it did, I baptized him and he was one happy camper. And it was just a week or two after that that he ended up going off to prison. It was just, I don't know, maybe within a month after that that we got another message from him, this one by letter. And he was so happy about being baptized and was talking about all the good things that was happening. And then at the end, he closed his letter this way. He said, church in prison is great. <laughs> never have heard anyone say anything like that. But you know, whenever the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, he was a prisoner of the Roman government, but he was full of joy. He says, I rejoice and I will rejoice. And there was good, he had good reason to rejoice. One of them is he rejoiced because his imprisonment could not silence the gospel message. And it never has been able to do that. Prison and hardship couldn't discourage the Apostle Paul. Imprisonment could not take him by surprise. Now, we aren't too sure. There are people, there's, there's a debate today about where he was being held prisoner. Was it in Caesarea? Maybe so. Some people say, well, no, he was imprisoned in Ephesus. Maybe so. I'm, I'm not sure. Traditionally, most people have believed that he was in Rome whenever he wrote this, and he was under house arrest, house arrest. He couldn't get out of the house. And here's another thing. He had to get his own place. He had to rent his own living quarters to be under house arrest. Isn't that something? But you know what? When he writes this letter, there was nothing unhappy in him. There was not one discouraged bone in his body because prison and hardship just couldn't depress him. You see, imprisonment didn't take him by surprise. Suffering and hardship were nothing new to him. I want to draw your attention to this. If you would, you know, look in Acts uh, chapter 9 here and in verses 15 through 16. This is the chapter 9 tells us about whenever the Apostle Paul was stopped on the way to Damascus because he was going to Damascus to, to take captive Christians. And the Lord Jesus, you know, appeared to him on the road to Damascus and, uh, and blinded his eyes temporarily. And, and Saul, who's known, later known as Paul, ended up being brought into Damascus. And that's where he stayed until God called upon an old prophet named Ananias to go visit him and to baptize him. And, of course, Ananias was saying, I don't, Lord, I don't think you know who this guy is. He's a killer, you know, and, and I, he's bad news. But what the Lord said to Ananias was this. It talked about his plan for Paul. Paul and the Lord said to Ananias, he said, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. <laughs> now, who would want to send in their resume for that position? Hmm? Here's another thing. 
In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, which is a book that sometimes it's always, it's a little hard to follow the argument in here, but it is very, very personal. We read some autobiographical details in here about Paul. Some of it, we don't even know when it happened, but listen to what he says when he, when he writes about his experiences as a preacher of the gospel. In, in verse 24 of chapter 11 in 2 Corinthians, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I'm not weak. Who is, who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. It wasn't an easy job that he had. He didn't get to drive around in a brand new Cadillac and stay in five-star hotels. It was a tough life. It was a hard life that most people wouldn't want to have any part of. So why in the world could he be a prisoner, a guest of the state of Rome, and he could say that he was happy about everything? Well, the reason is, is because his imprisonment resulted in the gospel reaching more people, which is what God had called him to do. Spread the gospel. Spread it before kings. Spread it before rulers. Spread it everywhere you go. I remember several years ago, I was asked to do a thing in which I was trying to find out some stuff about some, uh, some people that had passed away because I was asked to do a memorial service at what used to be the Kingsley Place. Now it's Brookstone, I think is what it's called. Anyway, and some of the people were members at First Baptist here that they, because it was several of them that had died in a few months period of time. And someone asked, would you just do a memorial service there at the Brookstone Place? And I said, sure. Well, I was wanting to try to get some details on some of these folks. And whom should I call? I, the one that I felt most comfortable with calling was Bill Tisdale. And I, I called Bill Tisdale up and talked to him. And then Bill was saying something about, you know, so-and-so. And we got to talking about some other people we knew. And he was talking about one man who, if I mentioned his name, you would know who he is. But Bill told me, he said, I'll tell you what. He said, that guy will witness to a fence post if it'll hold still long enough. And he was right. I had a friend that was the same way. I mean, his name was, was Bill Everett. He was pastor for several years. Well, at First Baptist Longview and then at the sprawling, growing Field of Road Baptist Church in, 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 uh, in Arlington. And then after he retired, he went to First Baptist Church in Rusk and was a lengthy interim there. And then after he retired again, he went to uh, Central Baptist Church in Carthage and he was a pastor there for eight years, I believe, before he retired the third time. He was the same way. He and I were really close friends. We went a lot of places together. And if he saw someone that he thought was going to hold still for a while, he was going to tell them about the Lord. That's just how he was. That's how Paul was. Now think about this. He said because of this imprisonment, 
more people are hearing about this. As a matter of fact, the whole Imperial Guard is getting to hear about this. These were the this, this Imperial Guard was kind of like an elite group of soldiers. You didn't get sign up and just all of a sudden end in the Imperial Guard. It might have been something kind of like what we would think of today as Army Rangers or Green Beret or Navy SEALs or something like this. These, these were pretty top flight guys. And the Apostle Paul happened to be in contact with them. Now, don't you know that they would get an earful every time that they would stop and he would get to talk to them? Oh, yeah, he certainly would. And he said, because of this, the news of my imprisonment and why I'm here, that I am being imprisoned for the sake of Christ, has spread throughout the whole palace, throughout the whole imperial guard. Now, think about this. I was on a mission trip back in 1992 that uh, took a bunch of us up into Great Britain. We were in Wales. And while I was there, one day I had a little break, and, and the person I was staying with took me and another gentleman to a place, and it was a small museum. It was Roman artifacts that had been found in that part of Wales. Roman artifacts, some of which went back to the day of the Apostle Paul. Now think about this. This is just... Dreaming, I guess. What if one of those men in the Imperial Guard ended up getting transferred all the way up into Great Britain and spread the gospel up there that he had heard from the lips of the Apostle Paul? I don't know. I'm not saying that it happened. But what I am saying is this. Imprisonment cannot shut down the gospel persecution cannot silence the gospel. We can think of places in our world today where it's illegal or at least very hard to be a Christian and to be one openly, but sometimes in places like that, from what we hear from some missionaries, there are more people turning to Christ in places like China and some of the Muslim countries than what we see going on around here in our own United States where it is legal to preach the gospel. And that's something. Understand this. Persecution cannot silence the gospel. Let's not ever get the idea that it's going to shut down Christianity because it never has been able to. And another thing that he said was that this imprisonment was causing more people to hear the gospel. It's not just because of Roman soldiers, but he said there's some other preachers here that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had become emboldened by my imprisonment to proclaim the gospel. And what he was talking about was some of these guys that were thinking, well, you know, the Apostle Paul's in prison simply because he's preaching the gospel. Well, I'm going to take my stand beside him. I'm going to preach the gospel too. And I'm going to let people know about Jesus Christ. In other words, they were encouraged about it. But there's another thing about, he talks about, about the spread of the gospel in here, is that the spread of the gospel really can't be squashed by preachers that have wrong motivations at times. He said, not, he said a lot of people have been emboldened to preach the gospel a lot more. Some of them are doing it because they're supporting me. They're taking their stand beside me. He said, but there's some other people that are preaching the gospel with wrong motives. They're doing it out of envy and rivalry, and they're trying to make it hard on me while I'm a prisoner. Now, goodness gracious, can we believe that anyone would be competing with the gospel let me tell you something. J.C. Penney, you know, he wrote a lot of little essays about 
business, about life. Matter of fact, he was a Christian man. But one essay that he wrote that I read, and I never could forget it, it, was, it said, your competitor is your best friend in business because your competitor makes you do a better job. You give better customer service. You sell a better product at a good price. He said, your competitor is your friend. But competition is not, a, it may be a good thing in business world, but it is not a good thing in the gospel world. Okay? Listen. Even in Paul's day, Christians were starting to compete with one another. Some people were preaching the gospel with boldness just to give Paul a fit. Now, you wonder, who are these people? Are they the ones that he talks about in the letter to the Galatians? Or is he the one that he refers to later on here in the letter to the Philippians? And these were the ones that were saying that you had to submit to the Jewish rite of circumcision and you had to follow this particular diet. Is that what he's talking about? I don't think so. Simply because those people that he mentions in Galatians, read it in chapter 1, he did not have one kind word to say about them. He said, if he said, these people, he said, are cursed. And may they be cursed for what they're doing. Right here, he's being tolerant. He's just saying, you know, they're just not, what they're doing is just trying to give me a hard time. He said, but I don't care. He said, the gospels are getting preached. And that's all that I care about. You know, listen, I want you to understand something. Competition should never be a motivation for churches today. And the thing about it is, is that so often it is. Listen. When we compete with other churches, what do we end up doing? We end up taking the focus off of Jesus Christ and putting the focus on ourselves. And that's what a lot of churches do today. You know, listen, we should never set out to say, well, I'm, we're going to get our church to be bigger. And what we're going to do is we're going to go after members of another church. Now, not many people come right out and say it, but one time I was at one church where there was one deacon in a deacon's meeting said, let's go after those people. Let's steal them from that church over there. You know, they'll steal from us if they can. Hello. You know, that is not something that you're getting out of the scriptures. You know, no church should be in competition with the other. We should never rejoice when a sister church stumbles. I was in one town and... Uh, as a matter of fact, whenever I was a pastor in Orange, there was another pastor around there, and he and I were pretty good friends. We'd go out to lunch every now and then. But he would just take this almost Freudian delight in finding out that something bad was about to happen at a sister church around there. And he said, you know, such and such is going on over there, and I bet we're going to get some of their members after it's all over with. Folks, that's just not right. Because when we do, what are we focusing on? Ourselves and not on Christ. That's wrong. Here's the, here's the good way of looking at it. Another time, whenever I was a pastor of a little church in a small town in central Texas, there was, we were the only Baptist church in town. And really, we were the only Baptist church within five miles because about five miles down the highway, there was this little Baptist church, and it was really just on a farm and market road. Nobody ever went by there much at all. And it was a church that usually had some kind of problem brewing. Some of them, I guess, were just cantankerous. I don't know what it was. And they got a new pastor. He was a young man. He was still going to seminary. His name was Hal Scott. Hal was a really, really good guy. And one time, Hal and I were talking, and he said, Joe, I just want you to know that we're praying for your church. 
we're praying that your church will have a revival. He said, because we believe if God does a, a, a work of revival in your church, he's going to do one in ours too. I'm going to tell you, I've never been able to forget that. And it's a pretty good thing to think about. Whenever real revival happens, it's a thing that can't be confined to one particular building. We don't compete with each other. One other thing in this passage is that we need to remember that the, what the gospel is. It's good news. And the good news can be summed up in one word, Christ. You know, in this passage that we read, we see something on here of what he has to say. Let me get on here again. <clears throat> you look in verse 15. He said, some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. It's talking about Christ. Christ. Christ is the gospel. Understand this. The gospel is not just an appeal for morality. It's not where you get up and tell everyone, you know, what you need to do is you need to quit doing this and this and this. The gospel is not just a, an appeal for morality. The gospel is not just a message of peace and goodwill to make you feel better. The gospel is not something that's aimed just to boost your morale. The gospel is the good news of all that Jesus Christ is. It is the, it is the good news of all that he has done of all that he is doing, of all that he will do, of all that he will do for his people, for our world, and for our sin. That's the gospel. And understand this, is that without Jesus Christ, there is no gospel. Without Jesus Christ, there's not any good news. Don't forget that. He has to be our focus. Sometimes, I, I don't know, I get to be a little cynical about things. And I, I've seen this every now and then, and, and if I'm wrong, I, please forgive me, and you may want to disagree with me, but I have a problem if I'm driving down the highway and I see a big billboard advertising a church, and pastor's picture is on there with a big, broad smile on his face. It's not about the pastor. It's about Jesus Christ. Because without him, there is no good news. Have you received that good news yourself? Because it's the best news that you can ever hear. And it's the only good news that you can really hear and hold on to. Let's pray together. Now, our Lord... We come to you thanking you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world. We thank you that there is nothing that can overcome the gospel. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for the times that we've become sidetracked and we've tried to compete with others or we have forgotten that the gospel is really just summed up in Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us for those times and cause us to steer away from those that we as a a body of believers as a church will remember that our job is simply to be witnesses, to proclaim that good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, give us boldness, give us courage, give us strength, cause us not to be afraid, but simply to do what you tell us to do. Lord, you're wonderful. And Lord, we thank you so much for just allowing us to know you, to know your Son, to know your Holy Spirit 
and to know the life that comes with, with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.